All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Way of the Truth Warrior. My name is David Whitehead. I'm very happy to be here with you to talk about this very fascinating, somewhat controversial subject. But I think as we go through all the points I'm going to be bringing up, you'll see that the goal here is to try to find out the truth about what is really going on behind a lot of these social, political, cultural narratives that we have hitting us from all angles all at once. I don't think it's a coincidence uh, that it's all happening at the same time. It's all coming from the same organizations and institutions, but I'll let you be the judge. Thank you so much for joining me today. It is Monday, November 7th, 2022. One day before the U.S. midterm elections. Best of luck with that, guys. We're watching here from Canada, and uh, let's see how that goes. Um, just want to let everybody know, I finally got onto Truth Social. You can go and check me out at DW Truthware on Truth Social. I finally figured out the whole VPN thing uh, with how to get in there, so now I am there. Uh, you can also get me on Telegram and Twitter. Those are going to be my three main places of posting information for social media. And apologies for being a little bit late today. We've been having a lot of storms over the weekend and over the past few days here where I live in British Columbia on the island. And I'm out in the boonies. So uh, we had trees coming down on the power lines all the way up the road that I live on. So it took them the last two days to try to even get it manageable. So I really hope that this stream doesn't get interrupted. If it does, you'll know that that's the reason why. So... <laughs> I'm glad I'm here. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but yeah, welcome everybody. Let me just make sure we're all getting comfy. Everybody's logging in. This is great. We've got people jumping in from all over. I am live on Rumble, Twitch, DLive, Rockfin, and Pilled, and Foxhole. So shout out to everybody on those amazing platforms. Platforms where we are allowed to have these conversations, where we're not being censored. And uh, that's what I really like. So that's where I'm going to be, is the places where we're not being censored. So here we go. I'm going to just tell you where this show came from. I was thinking about, what, what am I going to cover on Monday? And lo and behold, it just, as always, synchronicity happens. And I try to get, you know, what's the vibe in the cultural discussion? What's the vibe on social media? What's everybody talking about? And there's so many subjects we could talk about. I mean, we got the inquiry still going on in Canada. There's some just bombshell testimony coming from veterans, uh, police officers, um, you know, people that were a part of it. So please follow along with the Canadian convoy inquiry because a lot of good things are coming out, which is what we wanted. Um, we've got the situation in Brazil. I posted some clips earlier today on my social media where... I think everybody's in the street over there. It's just all of Brazil is in the street. It's just, we're going to see what happens. Um, so many things going down all at once. But today we're going to focus in on this one subject that I think it's going to relate to the reason why I think all of this is going on. Okay. And it started for me uh, when I was at a friend's place this weekend and she works as a teacher in a local uh, education program. And she was talking to me about how she's working with children and she doesn't necessarily agree with all this, uh, transgender ideology being pumped into kids at young ages, but she was having this feeling of, well, I just want to support the kids, you know, and, and we're being told as teachers that we have to sit these kids down at the beginning of school and have everybody go around the circle and tell everybody what their pronouns are. 
And I'm sitting there like, you know, just listening. And I was trying to think about what's the best way to start with somebody here who's sort of on the fence, um, gets what's going on in that regard to a certain extent, but also, you know, you don't want to just come at it too hard. You want to make sure you bring out a good argument. And um, so I, you know, she starts going on and she was kind of in the middle of feeling conflicted because she's coming from that good, virtuous place of just wanting to help make everybody feel comfortable and doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. And, um, you know, is, is kind of, was kind of saying, well, I, I don't really know what my opinion is on the whole thing, but um, I do feel like it is a bit weird that we're doing this now with kids in school, but at the same time, we don't want to alienate people and, you know, we want to make sure everybody feels comfortable and we need gender equality and we need to erase the stigma about, you know, all this stuff. And so I just kind of went, all right, there's so many, this is such a tangled knot to untangle. And I find myself these days with all of these issues that we talk about, uh, how to approach it where you don't have to untangle the entire knot in a very short discussion because nobody will sit there and listen to you long enough for you to do that, but how to get directly to the heart of the issue just to sort of stun people into thinking about it, right? And um, I, by the way, this is a close friend of mine, love, love them dearly, amazing people. Uh, and we had a really good chat and they were very grateful for the chat that we had. And I pride myself on being somewhat diplomatic when it comes to these things that I don't just get up in arms with people. I just want to have the conversation. I'm glad people want to have the conversation, especially people that are teaching children in school. Um, and so I just said, look, have you ever seen the power symbol? I don't know why this was the argument that came to my head as I started, but I was like, have you ever seen the power symbol that's like on your computer? You know, this symbol right here. You ever seen this one? It's funny that this is the symbol that we use to identify power on your laptop, on your phone, on electronic devices. And it, it to me, I don't know what it looks like to you. Maybe it's just me, but I see a masculine and a feminine symbol here. It's masculine. It's the, it's the masculine charge. It's electricity and magnetism. Uh, you know, the circle could be looked at as the crescent moon, the crescent, uh, the ovum, the, you know, that's the feminine shape, the circle, by the way, the circle and the sphere are a feminine shape, uh, because of the fact that this is how the process works when a, a female is, uh, impregnated and then is, has this amazing magical ability to produce life. It's the unique quality that females have in nature. And then you have the masculine, which, um, you know, provides the seed to allow for that process to take place. And when you put those two forces together, electricity and magnetism or masculinity and feminine, whatever you put those two together, you end up getting power. The thing works. Your, your computer turns on because there's a, a merging between these two primal forces. And um, so I was saying, why aren't we teaching children how this all functions within nature? Right. Like even in I was speaking to my friend who's an elect electrician and, you know, you you get into uh, doing wiring for homes and there's the language of, you know, the male and the female. Right. Even uh, friends of mine, because, you know, you need the male 
and the female in order to make the connection so that when you connect it, it actually produces a charge, right? Uh, I got friends in the plumbing industry that tell me the same thing. You need the male and the, the male is always symbolized as the thing that gets inserted into the female uh, connector that is open for, you know what I mean? So we kind of use this in our language and it's even known, and this, it's interesting that this person I was speaking to comes from a French background. And so I thought, well, here's another kind of quick example. Where did I put it? I just want to show it. Here it is. Yeah. Check this out. In the French language, we have masculine and feminine in French, right? The learning of French nouns. Every time you're using a, a word in French and you're speaking in French, you have to differentiate whether you're using the masculine version of the noun or the feminine version, right? And this is just a, this is just a, a website that I found that offers French lessons. And they're just saying, one of the hardest things for many students learning French is understanding how to tell the difference between masculine and feminine French nouns. Gender with regards to words is not something we spend a lot of time thinking about in English, but it's significant for the French vocabulary. Now, I'm not going to give you the lesson on that. I'm just bringing it up as another anecdote. And this was something that I brought up in this conversation uh, to just start the com just to start the process here. Okay. Um, and I, I said to her, I'm like, well, I definitely, you know, we need to build positive self-esteem in these kids. And, you know, I know, but here's the problem. Um, what if what we are teaching these children is based on a complete delusion or an illusion? What if it's that you're, you know, where does it end with making a safe space for everybody to come in and learn in your teaching environment? Like, where does it end from that to actually teaching children reality, the fundamental facts of reality, the fundamental base frequency of nature and life. And I said, what is the elephant in the living room here? Like, really, what's the, what's this really all about? And I, you know, she was like, I don't, I don't really know. I just think it's about making people feel comfortable. And I'm like, but why are we making people feel comfortable with something that isn't true? Right. Like, and what's the best way to help? Cause I want to help. I want to help these kids, but they're kids. I said, we just had Halloween. Everybody's kids just dressed up in these costumes to go out and pretend to be different things because children live in the world of the imagination. They haven't yet developed the fully formed prefrontal neocortex where logic and, and rationality and all of that happens. And there's a reason that that's the way things go with the seven stages of childhood development. And yes, there are stages and there are many you know, people you can read like Steiner and Montessori and all these people that would help you understand as a teacher what the healthy process of teaching a child based on the stage that they're at, right? Because as a teacher, you have to be able to reach a student where they're at, right? So um, is it healthier to take, because we didn't do this before. Society and culture never did this before, say, 2018. Like we, there's no, we never did this. And yet now we're just doing it. And to me, it feels like a trend, kind of like what we just did with COVID, where we never did all the masking and all the X's on the floor and all the fiberglass partitions and black garbage bags over half of Costco. And we never did that stuff before for any kind of outbreak. 
Yet all of a sudden we just have this new way of doing something that actually causes a lot of harm. And now we're finding out that that caused a lot of harm. And the people that told us that that was the only way we could survive this pandemic turns out they're completely wrong. And it was a lie. Well, what else was a lie? Like, where are we going to, so I'm trying to bring it all together for this, in this conversation. And, uh, we went on a few different tracks and she asked some really good questions. And, you know, I just got to the point where I said, look, what if we start with children with the base of what they are? I said, I just produced this uh, study into the Bible and into ancient religion, looking at it from an esoteric, symbolic, sort of metaphoric perspective to try to give people a different way of looking at things and to also provide some knowledge that comes from the ancient world, from all these amazing ancient sources that we're trying to communicate to humanity what you are as a human being and that your life has meaning and there's a connection between you and nature and you and God and you and the universe and all that. And that in the base of everything, you are light. What if we told children, hey, you are light. Your soul is light. Your cells, your the, the atoms, it all vibrates with this photonic light and all things in the universe do, which makes you a part of all things. And that all things have all this differentiation and there's uh, different kinds of people and different kinds of life and different kinds of consciousness and, and photon lights and all that. But at the end, if you know what you are as a soul and that you are inhabiting this vehicle of a body, which is a beautiful gift that's been given to you by nature and your creator, um, who are we to now mess with that? To what degree should we be messing with that as humans? And I realized as I was having this discussion and it was a lot of back and forth that all of these issues center around this discussion about the questions of religion and philosophy. We're, we're trying to live in a scientific paradigm and use all this new language that we have because of the advent of technology. And we're now superimposing all this technological language on the, the previous language that was there. Um, so we feel like we're getting better descriptions of reality, but are we really? Are we over describing things to the point where now there's no description? See, because here's the issue. It's not just as simple as affirming somebody's feeling about themselves, right? We're not even asking the question, what is the self? Like, what is that? This, this is why I love the brilliant documentary by Matt Walsh. What is a woman? We got to define it. We used to define things. And then now we have a principle to operate from. But now it, the definitions are gone. They're throwing the definitions out. And they're changing all the definitions of everything. They're rewriting history. They're, re they're getting rid of philosophy. They're just getting rid of religion. They're getting rid of it all. It's all about what I think is the real agenda is to bring in a new order for the world and a new order for humanity that they don't hide the term that they use for that. They use the term transhuman. And so as I was having this conversation, I started with those little arguments, you know, the basic ones that you get into with this stuff. And, uh, and then I said, okay, let's just add the next layer to this discussion. Okay. And we're going to get into that layer in this show, but really simply the next layer is transhumanism, because if you're going to say transgender and the root word is trans, which is the root word for transition. And even they use that term when it comes to gender affirming drugs and surgery, that you're in transition. So it means you're in transition of a species from one, from one 
gender or one form of humanity to another one, right? You're in transition. And so transhumanism, transgenderism, all of this, I feel like it all kind of comes into play. And uh, before I continue with this, let's just say this. I don't have any ill will or hatred or or beefs with transgender people that happen to have to happen to have that right or happen to be that. I have an issue with how we are recruiting and grooming children with this ideology and not just letting them know, hey, this is a thing that exists in the world. You're going to have to ha you're going to see it around. We need to have these discussions. It's very nuanced. It's very there's a lot of opinions about it. Like they're not teaching this objective uh, knowledge of the subject to children. They're like everything else, bringing them into this one way of seeing it without the context of everything else. And so you're giving this to impressionable young children who are still forming an identity, who don't even know what a self is, who don't even have the ability to logically and eloquently describe what is a woman or what is a man or what is a this or what is a cat or what is all these things we're transitioning into. And yet we are going to the point of not just saying, yes, you can be whatever you want. It's here's drugs and surgery that will permanently alter what you are physically. And there's grave consequences to going down that road in case you ever change your mind. Like we're talking about permanent alteration of a human being. And we're instilling that idea at a young, impressionable age where they are not yet equipped psychologically uh, and, and emotionally to even deal with this and, and to truly have it, right? And that's why you have this thing where there's a lot of people that go down this track and they have regret. And now what? If they regret it later on, it's a little bit too late. And that's the issue. And so there's a lot of grave concern. Um, this is not just about trying to make people feel good anymore. This is about maybe even saving the human race. And then I just had to say it. I said, look, let's just do some simple math here. It used to be that the dominant discussion in our society was about marriage, having children, right? And again, this isn't to just try to say everybody needs to conform to that. It's just that the vast majority of humanity does conform to that for a very simple reason, which is that that is a necessity for the species of humanity to continue to survive on the planet, right? That's all that this is this that's all that needs to be said. If that becomes the foundational understanding, then we can have a more nuanced discussion about those other aspects, right? But what's happening is the gender ideologues, the transgender ideologues, the political activist wing of that group of which I know many people in that community that hate this whole thing, they would rather to just be left alone and let be who they are and they understand what's going on. But there's a social political meme that is being injected into your children's mind by way of the media, by way of their schools. It's in the actual curriculum for Canada. It, there's all kinds of things I'll bring in to this discussion that is extremely alarming. And I said, what if you just entertain me? And I was speaking to my friend, well, just entertain me here for a second. Let's just have a sort of a, uh, a thought exercise here. Let's say you're sitting at the elite round tables, meaning you, you, you're the people that have the money and the power and the influence in the media, in the education system, in the culture. Okay. And you happen to have a belief that there's too many human beings on the planet, which we've covered before. 
statements from the club of Rome, the whole thing about depopulation, everything else, right? That I could sit here for the, I've done this in previous shows. I could sit here for the rest of the show, just reading quotes and scientific papers for you about how this scientific technocratic class views the problem of humanity. And they view the problem of humanity as being human, being human in an organic state is the problem they want to solve. Okay. Once you've established that that exists, that that discussion has been had for decades now at the top of the intellectual circles and the elite circles with all these think tanks and round tables and media and all this Hollywood, that, that discussion has been had. And so I wonder if they've been having that discussion about how do we bring the population of humanity down to a manageable level? I mean, it's, it was written in stone in the Georgia Guidestones before that blew up, thank God. But that, that, was, that was an idea that nobody wants to talk about in context of anything else. They like to look at it isolated, but they don't want you merging that idea with what I'm going to do here and say, well, maybe there's a connection. And that's actually where thought begins is when you start comparing ideas and trying to bring it together. So if that idea is dominant and they say there's too many humans, we hu humanity is now the enemy. Like this is the directly from the club of Rome in the sixties. Okay. And they're going to use this climate change and all this stuff. And then they get, so they've, they've posed a problem and the problem was humanity. There's too many of us. And then they start telling you what the solution is. And you read quotes from people like Bertrand Russell and, and all these elite things, you know, Ted, uh, Turner and all these elites, Kissinger, all these guys, all the scientific papers, Bill Gates. And you go, well, maybe one time, maybe they're going to actually act on this belief that they have, because these are the people that have all the money and the control and the power and the influence, right? So they're going to try to make something happen because they believe there's a problem. And so what way would you achieve a reduction in the human population? And especially not to achieve it as a one-off. You don't want to just you don't want to just do a mass event that just brings the numbers down to where you think you need to bring them because then we're just going to grow back. Right. So you need to have this solved moving forward into the future as well. So what maybe if you wanted one way to do that, you would start encouraging in the culture the idea that there is no such thing as man and woman. And that we are actually creating a new species of humanity that is androgynous. And that the only way we'll be able to continue as a species through reproduction, because of course, if you, I mean, I don't know how obvious it is to say this, but if you eliminate heterosexuality completely, and you actually don't have heterosexuality as the dominant force in society, then you won't reproduce the species. And me saying that doesn't mean we have to go get rid of all the people that aren't. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the dominant concept of human in humanity has to be that or we won't survive. And then the answer was, well, we have now, and this is what this person said, we have technology now with in vitro fertilization and all this stuff. We have technology that can do this. And I'm sitting there going, okay, but that's not a natural thing. And the more humanity starts to go against the natural principles of nature, of which you can see evident in all things, right? Um, the more we move towards our own extinction. And that is the concern. And it's a very valid concern. And we need to have that discussion before we start sitting kids in a circle and telling them 
you can identify as a, I don't know, a, a purple cat if you want, you know, it's totally cool. And we'll actually get your ID to be a purple cat and we'll address you as a purple cat. And we'll like, it, you're enforcing delusion in an, in an imaginative mind that hasn't formed logic yet. And that's just, to me, that's, that's, that's not only wrong. That's actually like, that's profoundly evil because it moves against the force of life. And, uh, so this was sort of the discussion we had, I think it ended really well. And, um, and then that's what inspired this. And I'm thinking, well, okay, I've, I've talked about ancient transhumanism on the show. There's a show you can go watch in the archive called ancient transhumanism, where it's just a thesis that, you know, maybe this isn't new. Maybe this is a, a concept that's been around for a long time of altering humanity from its natural course. You know, who wants to do that? Who are the people involved? What's their real agenda, et cetera. You can go check that out. And then, you know, we've spoken about some of these cultural issues where um, we've seen that this whole sort of left-wing agenda to affirm the LGBTQRXYZ community to this level has gone, it's far long ago departed from just trying to make equality and um, get rid of all these stigmas and make sure that everybody has equal rights. Uh, it's gone far beyond that. It's actually about recruiting people into this paradigm. And the culture is also doing this, this the, the Hollywood culture, the music industry culture, uh, and then we're seeing it get into the curriculums. And that starts to raise alarm bells in me. Um, and so that's where the discussion is to be had as to whether or not there's a connection. Because at the same time, guys, that we're having this discussion about what is a man, what is a woman, can you be whatever you want? Should we give children puberty blockers? Should we sterilize children for life because we want to affirm an imagination that they have of something, you know, or they have some kind of us? Because I mean, remember, before we even had any of this discussion, this used to be known as a psychological condition that needed people needed treatment for, right? Until 2018, and then everything just changed. So, you know, this is the debate. But I think at the same time that that debate's happening, there's also this debate about what does it mean to be human? Do we even have free will? Are humans hackable animals like Yoel Harari and Klaus Schwab are saying? Um, uh, should we be mer merging humanity with technology to the point where we make ourselves obsolete and we become something completely different? Um, and then at the same time that that discussion is happening, we just so happen to have this pandemic where everybody is getting injected with this new technology that has all these questions to it. and um, you know, we, we've just got all these things that are happening at the same time. And I think, well, what if it's all related? What if the push for this cultural shift, which will only end up with less humans in the end, if we keep going down this road, uh, what if that has to do with what we've just seen with the pandemic and what we're seeing with what they're saying openly now with this fourth industrial revolution the bio-digital convergence, as they're calling it. We'll get into that in a bit more. Um, and, and all of this, what if the reason they want to eradicate the notion of man and woman, the nuclear family, and what it is to be a human is because they're going to replace us with something else that is a technological androgynous being that will be alien to us uh, if, if that ever gets played out and you were to compare the old human versus the new human. Like, what if there's a big agenda there? So this is where we're speculating, guys. This is where we're looking into it. I've got my opinions, but I just wanted to uh, sort of bring that up and then introduce 
the next layer to this, which is that it just so happened that as I was prepping this show, I get in my feed that Matt Walsh was just on Joe Rogan. And they're having this three-hour conversation about exactly this. And I was going, because they're talking about Matt Walsh's film, What is a Woman? And uh, I just thought it was such a brilliant film and a brilliant question to ask. Um, and then they're having, I'm glad he got it on Rogan because then it'll get more views and this conversation can continue. But I picked out a little clip from it. I want to play. It's just a few minutes long. And it sort of encapsulates the, the uh, conversation. It was a very similar conversation that I was having with this friend I'm telling you about. And uh, let me play the clip and then I'll give you some more here. Why gender? Like, why is gender this ideological battleground? Like, how the fuck did that become this thing where it's it's encouraging like this cult-like mentality where you can even when things are clearly odd think clearly clearly don't make any sense they don't they don't fit with logic or reality you have to adhere to whatever this ideology is promote, promoting i think it's it's i mean i'm at a most basic level i think that this is a, it's a like i said this is an attack on on truth and this is you know, if you want to, uh, if your project is kind of is relativism and you want to get rid of uh, objective ideas of truth, what are you going to go after? I mean, if you can go after someone's really fundamental uh, understanding of themselves, it's, it's not just that they're attacking reality. It's like they're attacking the reality of the self. And so they're depriving a person of the ability to understand their own th themselves. Um, and once you do that, if you're successful on a societal level, then it's sort of like you, it, the sky's the limit. You can go anywhere from there, I think. So do you think this is like a conscious decision or do you think this is just something that people have adopted because it seems to be the ideology du jour? I think it's a, it, it depends on who you're talking about. I mean, uh, at an institutional level, I think it, I think a lot of it is conscious. Like some of the people that I talked about talked to in the film, I think that they they know that this doesn't make any sense and that it's wrong. Uh, and I think because they have to know it, you know, if you're a doctor, you, you do have a basic understanding of male and female. You must, you wouldn't have been able to get through medical school if you don't. So I think that for them, it's intensely ideological. It's also, it's also profit driven. They've got, they're making a lot of money off of this. You know, if a, if a six year old boy says, I feel like I'm a girl and the response to the boy is no, you're a boy and that's, that's what you are and that's okay. And he'll get over it and he'll get over it because it's just a phase and he'll live a normal life. And that's fine, but there's, not, there's no money in that. Whereas if you encourage the delusion, now that boy individually is worth millions of dollars down the line to uh, therapists and doctors and endocrinologists and surgeons and everything. So I think it's, it's profit-driven. And, and then there's also just a lot of actual confusion out there. People don't really understand what's going on. And then there's cowardice too. People are, are just terrified. You know, we, I've certainly seen a lot of that. People just are, they are scared shitless about being accused of bigotry, yeah, uh, losing their social media platforms, losing their jobs, losing their friends. I get this question all the time everywhere I go. Um, well, how do I deal with this at my job? Because if I reveal that I understand reality at my job, I'll lose my job or I'll lose my yeah. family. You know, it's this is what people are dealing with, and it is what people are dealing dealing with. It, it, that really is what's happening, which yeah. is one of the more confusing aspects of this. Is that there's no logical discussion about this it's just you are either on the good side or you're a bigot and that's the binary yeah but, and that's because they they know that they can't the people that are pushing this stuff know that they can't def defend it 
They can't defend it intellectually. They also feel like they shouldn't have to. I think that they, some of the people we talked to, what is a woman, it, it's, they, were all, they were offended that we were even questioning them. Because from their perspective, especially if you're a college professor or something, the relationship is supposed to be, I pontificate and you just sit there slack-jawed and nod yeah. your head and, and, and go along with it. So they feel like they shouldn't have to defend it, but they also know that they can't. And so uh, what are you left with? You're left with speech suppression, scaring people, that's that's the only tool in your in your uh, bag, and it's been really effective, unfortunately. A liberal mother, yeah, she was one of the first people to tell me about it, and she's concerned about it because she sees children in her kids' school that are identifying in this way, and she has this fear that it's a social contagion, but she also feels the suppression of that idea, like that other parents, if she brings it up with them, they're either dismissive or they don't want to talk about it, and she's like, Jesus Christ, it feels like. Like people are under a spell. Yeah, it, it does feel like that. It's like invasion of the body snatchers or something. Exactly. <laughs> it does feel like that. It is a spell. Uh, it's interesting. Even Joe was using the language of a cult. You know, they're creating a cult or a social contagion, right? Notice how these things are coming into the what we call the alternative mainstream now or even the mainstream. And uh, it was actually like, I've been talking about this on my show. Other people have been talking about on their show. We started talking about this on the Unslaved podcast about social contagion and the whole thing back in 2016. Um, and there's been people that have been speaking about this even earlier. So this isn't new. Um, and hats off to everybody that saw this coming. And we're talking about this long before it now became popular just like so many other things. But I am glad to see that because a lot of normie, normie people watch Joe Rogan, or they watch these more mainstream things. And I hope they see the film because it'll start the ball going, right? They might not jump into the deep end where we're going to go right away, but at least we start getting the context. And it's just funny how they were talking about how a lot of people are afraid to talk about this. And that was the feeling I got from this friend of mine as well, was that, well, I kind of have to go along with it because it's mandated by the province and it's mandated by the school system and I'll lose my job if I don't say, if I speak against it or I could become targeted by all these activists. And I'm just like, yeah, that, that, that's where this is just another piece of the big puzzle of the war that we're having globally right now, where it was the same issue where people didn't want to speak out against the vaccine mandates. They didn't want to speak out against the mask mandates, not because they agreed with those things, but because they were afraid of the, of the, the reprisal. They were afraid of the punishment that was going to come their way of being ostracized and fired from their jobs uh, or even brought in front of a court over this stuff. Like it's at that point. So those are the kinds of things that make me believe this is on, on the ground level. This is a social hysteria thing. This is a sort of cult thing that's been built into the culture. Culture, new culture was created by social engineers and people that know what they're doing and activist groups, etc. Um, who I think aren't really activate, they're not really on the, on the higher level, the organizational level, these activist groups are not funded by people that truly believe in this in themselves. They know that this argument, just like the climate change argument, just like the pandemic argument, just like all the other things, the current things, uh, they are all a means to an end. And the end is the new system that they want for the world, which is based on relativism, Marxism, um, you know, the, this new world, world economic forum, digital ID, biodigital convergence, like it all comes together when you know what you're looking at. So my answer 
if I would have been sitting there and Joe had asked me that question is what I'm going to go through with you here, where he was asking, is this just some kind of new social thing? It's like a, it's in vogue, it's the new thing, or is there something bigger managing this? Um, I would say, yeah, it's, there's something bigger managing it from the top. And there, it, it has to do with the transhuman agenda. If you bring in transhumanism to this discussion and stop separating those two things, a lot of things can be answered. I hope that makes sense. And I know a lot of you guys already know this stuff, but it's helpful to keep going through it and looking at all the details of it. Now, I wanted to uh, bring up some memory lane here in regards to this discussion, uh, being that this took place in my province of British Columbia, Canada. This took place in 2020, where a BC father, uh, this is the from Global News, they're saying BC fathers attempt to stop child's gender transition tossed out by appeal court. So there was a father who had, this became a pretty popular case. And guess what? There are cases like this all over the place. They only focus on a few of them, but this was one that got a lot of national headlines. And um, just real bit, basically here, a BC father has been told by the province's highest court not to stand in the way of his teenage son's gender transition treatment and to try and better understand gender dysphoria. Funny how they actually call it gender dysphoria. Like the fact that even Global News at, in 2020 used that term to describe what was happening, that's already controversial. All right, in the in the gender world, in the gender studies world, okay, you're not allowed to call it gender dysphoria. So I'm really shocked that they use that in the article. Uh, the father, whose name is under publication ban, went to the court after learning his child, who was assigned female at birth, was born a biological human female, was undergoing hormone therapy to transition to a boy. The boy, now 15, has said he has identified as a boy since he was 11 and began exploring transition treatment since he was 13. The boy's father first went to court in 2018 after learning his son's intentions, arguing no treatment should be provided if he didn't approve or give permission. You know, the father, the parents' right to decide uh, what their young 11 or 13-year-old child is able to do. And the BC Supreme Court sided with the boy in an earlier decision saying he didn't need his father's consent. Okay? And I mean, right here, like, is this natural? Is this... Is this healthy that we're, we're encouraging this stuff? Like, what is what is going on here? So I just want to refresh your memory. I'm sure you guys know about it. Here's an updated article on it uh, from April of 2021. Turns out that uh, this father was jailed six months after repeatedly exposing, well, they're saying repeatedly exposing transgender son's identity despite publication ban. So they're saying the father of a transgender teenager, this is the same one, has been sentenced to six months behind bars after exposing sensitive personal and medical information about his son, basically he went out and he started talking to any media that would listen about the situation. And of course, then they went and extracted comments from him where he's giving the answering the question as to why he's opposed to this and what he wants to do about it. And uh, that was a considered a breach of his terms and he ended up in jail over it. Right. Um, so this is this is just where it's at, where parents are being brought in front of courts to defend the position that they as parents get to have influence over their child in trying to prevent not just something like, oh, I now have to call my child a they, them, or whatever, um, which we can get into the whole discussion about compelled speech and all that. But uh, this is, they're actually trying to prevent the child at a young, impressionable age
from going down a path that they are later going to regret and that could cause irreversible damage to their physical body. Like the side effects of a lot of these drugs. And actually, I'm really glad because in that Rogan Walsh interview, they get into that. They get into the truth about a lot of these hormone blockers, um, the sterility, the a lot of the stuff that's coming out where they're trying to counter this in the in the media, counter all of the all of the our counterpoints to this whole thing. They're trying to come back and go, no, 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 none of those drugs are all reversible. They don't do any harm whatsoever. It's the same discussion we're having about the quack scenes, guys, except with this, right? And they're really, really, really wanting children to just be able to decide uh, whatever they can change into anything they want anytime because there's a profit incentive in this whole thing. That's definitely there. Matt Walsh brought that up. But I would say at the highest levels of this, the social engineer level of this, there's a bigger purpose for this being pushed and financed to the, the degree that it is. If it wasn't, we would just see it kind of fizzle up and down here and there. But, but the fact that there's a massive push all over the planet to engender this ideology, funny term I use, engender, to, to push this, just as there was to push the climate hoax, just as there was to push the pandemic and all the stuff with that and the vaccines, it's the same blueprint. So that's where people like me get curious and go, I wonder if there's a connection. And lo and behold, I think there is. So the answer is, this is about transhumanism. That's what this is really about. Okay, keep it short and sweet. But let's continue looking through some of these things I've got for you here. Um, there's another article from the CBC government-sponsored financed propaganda machine saying that school policy means students can identify by different gender and name without parent knowledge. You may have heard this. This has been going on all over the place. Uh, this was actually a very recent article. Some parents, there's some parents that oppose the policy while school boards say it protects students. So right away, we're sitting here going, wait, school boards get to have the say, the final say over what happens with my children and what they're taught? and not parents. And this is what's getting um, a parents up in America up in arms as they're going to the school boards and they're going in front of their states and they're saying, hey, let me just read you a couple chapters out of this book that's available in my child's schoolroom library. And it has pornographic, uh, all kinds of just horrific adult content in there. And why the hell is this being taught to my nine-year-old? You know, stuff like that. But apparently the schools know best. So students of any age at both the elementary and secondary levels can request to change their gender pronouns and name at school without the knowledge of parents or guardians, according to a board policy in Windsor. Now that policy is coming under scrutiny in light of the upcoming municipal election. And they're saying a school should never disclose a student's gender identity, chosen name and or pronouns to the student's parent or guardian without the student's explicit prior consent. This is true regardless of the age of the student. So if your kindergartner comes in and, uh, you know, maybe just finish, finish watching Frozen and goes, I want to be Elsa. And they're going, guess what? You can be. Are your new pronouns Elsa, whatever? I don't know what her whole name would be. Um, they can do that. And, oh, we're not going to tell mommy and daddy. So what I'm saying is this is a process that's happening in the school system where 
they're going to give the school system, meaning the state and everything behind that, power over the destiny of your child. And they're trying to remove parental influence from the child. This is 100% what was behind communism, what was behind any totalitarianism that takes over. It's all about the state controlling everything, including the welfare, the life, the opinions, the behavior of your child. This is that slow drip effect that starts to happen. And so I personally would love to see more, way more parents up in arms about this at the school board levels. My wife and I decided to start homeschooling our kids because of this and so many other things. It was actually COVID that broke the camel's back for us. And we, we, took, we had our kids in a great school and we said, you know what, forget this. It just started getting too crazy. We found out that a lot of the private schools in our area even were pushing the gender ideology because the board of the private school is made up of parents who just so happen to be brainwashed with this ideology as well. And so then that becomes the dominant influence. And then you can't even get away from it in private schools when you're paying a lot of money to try to get a decent education for your child. So that pushed us into the favor of, okay, let's just homeschool the child ourselves. And that's what we're doing. Um, but this is just getting insane. And I'm only giving you like the very basics. I know you guys know so much more. But like, where did this all really come from? Where's the financing of this? Where's this coming down from? You know, I asked the same question when it came to this radical change in health policy when it came to dealing with pandemics that just hit in 2020, where we started doing things we've never done before. And we started adopting the Chinese model of governance over this and exchanging our own already written down protocols of how we would deal with this. Uh, I'm like, where did that come from? Well, that came from the fact that we started listening to the World Health Organization, which is one of the branches of the tree of the United Nations and Davos and a whole crowd there. And then so many of these things that are coming in uh, with the change in technology and biodigital convergence and the new digital economy and the digital currency and how the fourth industrial fourth industrial revolution is not just about changing, you know, something to do with health. It's also about changing you as what Klaus Schwab said, you know, changing you at a biological level. That all came from the World Economic Forum. So there's a top-down influence. And when your politicians are all sounding the same, and when your media is all sounding the same, and when the dominant celebrities in Hollywood and that are influencing the culture, the pop culture, are sounding all the same, you really just have to, it's creating the illusion that there's this massive consensus in humanity to make ourselves extinct. Like where does, where do all of these things lead? They lead to the replacement of what we are as humans by something else. It all leads there and it all comes from the top. And so I went, well, when it comes to this whole thing, where have we seen it before? And you can go right now on the World Economic Forum website, weforum.org, and you can just start reading, going back to like, you know, 2013, and then start from there all the way to where we are about how you see the conversation in their articles and their publications changing slowly away from just giving people equal rights uh, to all out assault on the mind of your children in every capacity to actually recruit them into a program that has many facets to it other than just whether or not we're affirming some kind of gender pronouns. 
Okay. That you can see that evolution throughout their articles on that website. You go to the United Nations, you can do the exact same thing. Partnership for global LGBTI equality. And that's when it was LGBTI. And now it's, there's a whole bunch of other letters and numbers associated with that term. Um, and I'm not going to read this all to you, but just they're, they're, they've been writing about this. The, the objective of accelerating equality and social economic inclusion for LGBTI people. That's the sales pitch. We've clearly gone well beyond just giving opportunities and creating equality. And I just want to show you this and get you to start reading these articles for your own research so that you can try to understand how, how this propaganda is crafted and how they give you a sales pitch. And then you're going to have to fill in the gaps by reading the fine print of it on your own. Because again, we're way past. Like when you're having like kids going to transgender strip club shows, and they're stuffing dollar bills into the G-string of a transgender who's naked in front of that very young child. And the parents are sitting there clapping while wearing their double masks. We got to start having a conversation about this. We've gone far beyond just accepting people into our society. I don't even want to see kids going to straight strip clubs and doing that. Okay. Like, why is this always about sexualization? Even the whole pride thing. Why are we, what, what is that? Like accepting people. Okay. Celebrating different people. Okay. But it's pornographic. Like, why can't it be just about that without bringing all the sexualization in? Well, we probably know the answer to that question, but why aren't we allowed to have that conversation? And if you talk about it on YouTube or any of these social media platforms, you're censored. It means they don't want to have the conversation because as Matt Walsh was pointing out, they don't have a rebuttal for you. They don't have an answer. That was what his great film proved is that when he started just asking, it's like, okay, I think this was his theory. I think this is an attack on reality. This is an attack on truth. And I a hundred percent agree that that's what this really is about. So you got to zoom out and see the big picture. And then if we zoom out even past that, we would start to ask the next question. Well, who would want to attack reality and who would want to attack the truth? Who benefits from that becoming the new thing? Do you see where we can go real quick? But if I started asking those questions, I'm the conspiracy theorist in the room and nobody wants to listen, except for you guys, of course. Thanks for tuning in, by the way. Welcome. Um, so yeah, World Economic Forum has been talking about this for a long time. We're getting uh, academic courses on this. Check this out. This is also kind of moving into the transhumanism thing. You can get a course on this and there's courses, all kinds of official courses. This one's by Anders Sandberg, the future of being human. Let me just read about the course here. He's saying, should we upgrade our bodies and minds? Fellow at Oxford's Future of Humanity Institute, Anders Sandberg investigates the road we must take to reach the mind boggling possibilities of a transhuman future. <laughs> they are rather mind boggling, all of them. Uh, since we're talking about the extinction of the human race. Since the ancient Greek legend of Icarus and Diodulus, humans have been fascinated by the potential of technology to transcend our biological limitations. I like that he goes back into the ancient transhumanism concept, just to talk about how this has been around for a while. Uh, we have this uh, goal to live longer, think smarter, and experience more. But what exactly could be achieved? Could we really do away with the nuances of aging and death? 
Could our neural systems be put online, giving us the wealth of all human knowledge, a thought away, and also eliminating all privacy? Uh, is this something we would even want? What are the dangers involved? And is it even possible to predict them? It is not possible. I think we're playing with Pandora's box here. Are we in a position to even speculate about the effect a transhumanist revolution would have on society? Or is the uncertainty too great and risks too unpredictable? In this course, um, Andrew Sandberg explains the history, motivations, and goals of transhumanism and offers predictions of what humanity, humanity might resemble in a trillion years. Wow. By the end of the course, you will have learned the reasons behind the unprecedented success of our species, the classic and religious roots of modern transhumanist thinking. I thought this was interesting. The classical and religious roots of modern transhumanist thinking, meaning there's a connection to the ancient cults of the ancient world. The ways amateur transhumanists are modifying themselves today, why we age and whether we can stop doing so, the dangers and costs of progress in genetic engineering, and where meaning might be found in a life where anything is possible. So, you know, this is a major thing. You're getting, your kids are learning this in school. They're learning it in college. You can take courses in your university. You can take online courses. This is the major discussion that's being had. And all I'm bringing it up for is to show you it's all connected, right? Now let's go to here. Let's go to the Rand Institute. And this is not the Ayn Rand Institute. It's a different one. This is the globalist one. Uh, and... It's called, What is the Internet of Bodies? It's about four minutes. I just want you to listen to their case on what is coming down the pipeline. Let's check it out. In the 20th century, wireless technology integrated with the human body was nothing more than science fiction. But today, Wi-Fi connected devices like heart rate monitors and sleep trackers have become common parts of American life. How has bionic technology evolved so quickly from science fiction to reality? And what could this Internet of Bodies mean for our lives moving forward? RAND researchers are studying this phenomenon and what consumers and policymakers need to know as we veer into uncharted territory. The Internet of Bodies, or IOB, is, um, is actually an ecosystem. It's a bunch of devices that are connected to the Internet that contain software and that either collect personal health data about you or can alter the body's function. We think of the Internet of Bodies as this collection of all these devices as well as all the data that the devices are gathering about you. And in healthcare, it's Internet of Bodies has, has been around for quite a while. With the advent of the internet, it makes a lot of sense to connect your pacemaker to the internet so that your doctor can be automatically notified if, if something weird happens, if there's an anomaly. It's natural in a lot of ways to want to understand more about your body, how it functions, how well it's doing. IOB devices could revolutionize healthcare. Unprecedented amounts of personal health data could inform treatment plans that are completely tailored to a patient's needs. There are pills now that have an electronic sensor that let a healthcare provider know whether you have taken the medication. Other things like precision medicine. So precision medicine is the idea of, of creating pharmaceuticals or treatment like specifically for your body, for your personalized treatment. And I think IOB could really help with that because nowadays a lot of healthcare is, is based more on, you know, average reactions, whereas with data from IOB devices, you might be able to, to really more precisely treat a certain disease. 
but the Internet of Bodies won't be a cure-all. In fact, the largely unregulated market poses risks to the uniquely sensitive data these devices collect. First of all, there's, there's the cyber risk of, of, uh, you know, of an actor potentially um, hacking into the system, whatever it might be. There's the privacy risk of all this data that's being collected, and the regulations about that data are, are really murky at the moment. And so there's not a lot of clarity into who owns the data, what happens to it, who it gets sold to, how it's being used. And there's even potentially national security and global security risks. A few examples of these risks have already played out in real life. For instance, in 2018, highly sensitive information about U.S. military activity and base locations was inadvertently revealed by soldiers' fitness trackers. So this is a pivotal moment. What can we do to make sure we reap the potential benefits of the Internet of Bodies without risking our privacy, security, and personal autonomy? Consumers should be wary of IOB devices because as it's becoming more and more popular, all of this intimate data is being collected, arguably more intimate data than we've ever really recorded before. There's no clarity on what is being done with that data. You know, with, a, with an old mechanical pacemaker, there's no data that, that was being collected and stored and, you, you know, you could look at a history of someone's um, heart rhythms. Because policy tends to lag behind innovative technologies like this, it's probably up to the consumers and to the, the healthcare patients to really be aware of the devices that they're using and what is happening to their data and to, to know what the regulations are in their particular state because it does vary so much state by state. Even if you think you're not interesting or that nothing will happen with your data. There are a lot of unknowns that I think we need to be careful about. Well, there you go. That's sort of the, I mean, I'm glad they brought up the question about whether or not there's risks with this, but you got to remember when you're trying to sell obsolescence to the human race, which is what they're selling you, at the top. Okay. At the top. I don't know what this person speaking in the video or whatever. I'm, I'm talking at the, at the high table level of this. Okay. The financiers, the people pushing this, um, you have to bring out the objections that you know are going to come from your target audience. Okay. If you're a good salesperson, you bring out the objections in your sales pitch that way there are no objections and they just sign on the dotted line. Right. So you know that the number one thing people are going to be uncomfortable with when we're talking about a transhumanist future, the digital ID system, the internet of bodies, the merging of humanity with computers and AI and all that kind of stuff and, sur and surveillance to a level that we have never experienced on this planet ever. Um, we're talking about some incredibly dangerous technology here that they're going to try to overemphasize the benefits and notice that they always sell the benefits about your health because they know that's the number one concern that humans have is survival, number one. So you have to answer that. You have to go, well, we have a way that can help uh, enhance your survivability by longer lifespans and all of this. 
You just have to get our technology that's patented put into your body. And then we have access to that data. And so you're going to go, well, I don't want to give up my privacy. I don't want a bunch of corporations and faceless bureaucracies and Davos to have access to every heartbeat I have and every bowel movement that I have and every orgasm that I have and every thought that I think I don't want these guys to have access to me in this way. And I don't want my financial destiny to be intertwined with a biodigital currency that can be turned on and off based on what I say on Twitter or like, cause you got to remember, we just had COVID. We just had this amazing example for the human race to look at to give us the example of to, as to what we have to think about moving forward with all this stuff, which is that we found in Canada, I can just speak from Canada perspective, Canadian perspective. We found out that the federal government of Canada was tracking all cell phones illegally and without the knowledge and consent of Canadians. And they were gathering data from them and we're all just sitting here hoping that, somehow we can get an inquiry on that too. Like that would be nice. Right. Um, but they admitted this in mainstream media here that they were getting into your phone and they were tracking you without your knowledge and consent during the pandemic. So, and, and remember that all of the measures brought in through COVID, which were brand new to the human species, we had never been forced to wear masks before we had never been forced to do all this stuff. Um, the sales pitch of why we were going to bring in these new totalitarian measures and more enhanced surveillance and more draconian government policy was because of our survival. That was what most people justified going through that hell with was, oh, well, we have to or we're going to die. Like that's kind of what they sold us on. So they use your health and your survival as the sales pitch for bringing in a massive change to society. Have you noticed this? <laughs> So I'm just now amplifying that question to all of these other areas and suggesting that there's a connection because it's the same institutions, organizations, corporations, and media and government agencies that are pushing this on all levels. So could there be a coordinated effort here? That's why um, I did some really good interviews during 2020 where we started talking about this fourth industrial revolution and everything that it entails as being the main reason why we just went through COVID. We didn't just go through COVID because there was this random virus that went around and the government needed to scramble to respond and maybe they made a few mistakes. Uh, there, there's, there's something bigger behind it. And we even have the admissions from Fauci, from Klaus Schwab, from all these guys that this was an opportunity. Even Christia Freeland, our finance minister here in Canada, it's an, all COVID is an opportunity. It's a political opportunity. It's an opportunity to, to, to reset the whole world and reset humanity. Like, wow, we didn't we just want to get past this thing and move on? No? Okay, we're going to a new normal. Like, you see what I mean? So the new normal isn't just about, oh, you have to wear a mask everywhere and we have biosensors everywhere now and we're tracking your gait pattern and everything else. It's um, the new normal is also the push with the transgender ideology, the you know, the, the surgery, the drugs, and the whole thing behind it is very much linked to what I expose in my cult of the medics documentary, um, where we talk about how there's a bigger thing behind it all. And so what I just want to do is just help connect some more of those dots. And so they got to sell you on what your, your first concern is going to be. And then they're going to be like, well, we're working on it. We've got, 
we, we're going to be able to deal with all of those challenges, right? So give us your allegiance, go along with the program. And don't worry, we have experts that are going to use the science to figure out all those conundrums and questions and contradictions that you're seeing. We got people on this, right? So, it, I mean, to me, it's implicit that the concern moving forward with any of this technology or any of this gender ideology is uh, the future of humanity. Like, that's the number one concern. This isn't the first discussion we've had about it in, in our culture. Uh, I could go, I could find books written in the 80s and the 70s about the concern about merging humanity with technology. It's been on for a long time. And now here we are. And this is what it looks like. And so it's up to us to keep having the courage to have these conversations because it's at a point where literally your children's future is literally at stake. And we're not just using hyperbole about the future of our society and all that. We're talking about like the physical now, the physical future of your child is at stake uh, because of this type of indoctrination where they're not being given any context about this. And it's going to get to a point where you won't even be able to buy food or gas, or if we even use, I guess they're going to get rid of all the oil and gas production. We're all going to be driving electric vehicles and connected to a central grid. Like you see where it's going. And obviously there's going to be people that resist that, that are going to say, I don't like this. This is the opposite of freedom. This is the opposite of living as a human being on this planet. You're asking me to move further and further away from my organic nature as a physical living being. And I have problems because I think there's ramifications from challenging nature directly like this that we're not seeing because we're so excited to have these new superpowers and all this crazy technology. And, um, and then the, when that conversation kind of gets censored, that's where you get indications that there might be something bigger behind it as well. So I got another article I just want to run by you real quick. This was a fairly well done. And it's just going through, you know, the WEF agenda and what they envision. They envision an augmented society ruled by the Internet of Bodies and digital ID. And um, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible what they're, what they're bringing out. And I, I know there's so much out there about this stuff, but I just wanted to show you this. And so here it is. In, in August 17, 2022, the World Economic Forum published a copy or published a story on its agenda blog claiming, quote, digital identity is a vital element of building trust both online and in our wider communities to everyone's benefit. If we don't know for certain who we are interacting with online, we cannot have trust. So digital identity must therefore be the foundational element of our digital economy. All right, so they give you, oh, here's the problem and here's the solution. And the solution just so happens to be we're going to bring digital identity in and a digital ID to support the new digital economy. And they're going to work together. And they're hoping you overlook the fact that, wait a minute, that might have fundamental implications, some dire implications for human freedom if we, if we go down that road, right? And they're saying this digital identity determines what products, services, and information we can access or conversely, what is closed off to us. That was said by the World Economic Forum in 2018. And they even put up a little graph to show you. Here's your digital identity. Here's all the areas that it's going to affect. Healthcare, financial services, food and sustainability, travel and mobility, humanitarian response, e-commerce, social platforms, e-government, e-government, telecommunications, 
right? This affects everything. Technology will be more intertwined with the body in the form of implants. And that was from Kathleen Phillips in just in this in 2022. She's from the World Economic Forum. And they're saying we got to have a digital ID for a number of reasons, such as climate refugees, because we got all this. The refugees are due to the climate, right? Financial services, healthcare services, vaccine passports, civic participation, travel and mobility. It's basically what they've already got running in China. Okay. And they want that for the world. And as Kathleen Phillips continues, as scary as chip implants may sound, they form part of a natural evolution that wearables once underwent. I wanted to highlight this little nugget right here. As scary as chip implants. Remember we were all conspiracy theorists for saying, guys, they're going to implant you with a chip. It's going to be the mark of the beast. It's a control system. It's the new world order. And they're like, you're a crazy conspiracy theorist. You're like, yeah, but they're actually talking about it. No, they're not. Yes, they are. <laughs> Here they go. As scary as chip implants may sound, they form part of a natural evolution that wearables once underwent. Hold on. Let's talk about this. We got to talk about this. They've been talking about wearables. And I put a clip in chapter five of Cult of the Medics on this, which I'm, I was going to finish with telling you guys to go there, but cultofmedics.com chapter five will help with this episode. Okay. Where uh, we've got Regina Dugan, who was the former head of DARPA, who became the head of Google and still flies in all those circles, Facebook, Google, she's got ties to the cult of intelligence, right? And she was promoting, I think in like, it was early 2000s or maybe early to early mid uh, where she was promoting wearables on public television. And she was wearing, oh, I got a wearable right now. We even have ingestibles, ingestible digital tracking technology. And that became the thing. And then there's this whole thing of quantum dot tattoos and um, wearable technology. It's like skin grafts and tattoos and things like that. And now they're like, well, as scary as chip, we're going to now move to just implanting it in you. We're going to get it into you. And then you actually see patents for vaccine manufacturers openly talking about implanting this kind of technology in vaccines and not just stopping there, but actually creating genetically modified mosquitoes that could implant these kinds of vaccines into the human species and stuff like this, right? Stuff out of like science fiction. And now they're just openly talking about, oh yeah, injecting people with technology, um, having implants. And I'm bringing that up because do you see how they do the slow boil the frog? It starts with, here, get a phone. And then everything is off the phone. We live and we die by the phone. It's a device that you hold in your hand that has tracking technology. Uh, it was actually... Um, there's a, there's a section that we get into on what the phone actually does that they don't really publicly admit. Uh, monitoring your heart rhythm, everything else, even without your apps down, that doesn't matter. Just the technology of the phone itself has the tech in it to basically do what these implantable chips are going to do. 
So they start you with a physical device that everybody loves. You live off it. And there are many pros to it. I use it for my work. It's great. We can communicate, right? But that's the sales pitch. And you don't know that it's also got double-edged sword because they can use it to track you. They can use it to uh, get that data to advertisers, to private corporations, to government entities, to intelligence agencies. And now they've got a total profile of every part of you. And because you carry it around with you every day and it's sitting in the background and you're sleeping next to it, they can still keep the monitoring going. They can monitor your speech, your heart rhythm, your mood, everything. Okay. And like your sexual activity, they've got it all recorded just with the phone but they're not content with the phone. Now it's okay. We can wear it. You can just wear it and you just scan it. When you go into the grocery store, you don't need to bring any cash with you anymore. We're going to go into the cashless society now. And then it's okay. Now you can inject it into your body and now you can swallow it. And now it can be implanted like a microchip. And so they get people going along with, well, I already got the phone. You know what? I'm kind of sick. I got to put my password in every time and I got to have a face ID now and kind of sick of all that. It'd be nice to just walk into a place. I get scanned and then my credits based on the social credit digital currency system is extracted from my account immediately when I pick something up off a shelf. And on and on and on we could go into the wonderful world of transhumanism and all of this stuff. And yet we were trying, people like me and so many others before me were trying to warn humanity, hey, uh, look at what they're going to do. They're going to start here and then they're going to end up over here. And we know that because they already wrote this stuff down back a long time ago. And here we are. So what conspiracy theorists really are, are just people that, track the statements and the actions of these massive government agencies and corporations and these very interesting individuals that we track. And we see what they've proposed in their speeches, in their TED Talks, in their white papers, in their journals, in their public statements in the past. And then we compare it to current things that they say and do. And then we look at the trends coming in and we just go, hey guys, they kind of told us all this. And if they were right about those predictions, I've got other statements that they have made where they talk about what's coming after 2030 and after 2050. So if they were right about that, why wouldn't we be concerned about what they're saying is going to come down the pipeline? And should we not be aware of this and having this conversation? So slow drip, boil the frog. This is how it works. And so, yes, if you go, let me just show you really quick. If you go to cultofthemedics.com, Chapter five, there it is. Uh, that's the one to watch in relation to what we're talking about. Now, there's a video that I am really upset at myself for not getting imported over, and it comes from Yoel Harari. And he's the guru for this new transhumanism thing. And the kind of statements, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen all this stuff. All, right? all you got to do is just go watch. I played previous statements from the guy, but there was a really uh, creepy one where he was talking about essentially humanity being replaced. And, um, you know, just the way they talk about it, where it's so nonchalant, like, oh, this is just going to happen. It's just happening organically. And so we're just riding the wave and it's an opportunity and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, you marched us into this gulag over decades. You've marched us in this direction. Something and someone is marching humanity towards this. I just don't feel like this really is the natural. And I'm not saying 
technology isn't natural or their technology doesn't have to be a part of it. I'm not like a person who agrees we should get rid of technology and go live like hobbits in the forest. I just think, although that, <laughs> that might be a good option right now. I just think with what we've witnessed, the people running that agenda, I don't trust them. I don't trust pharma. I don't trust Vanguard and BlackRock. I don't trust Davos. I don't trust the UN. I don't trust the World Economic Forum. I don't trust a bunch of multi-trillionaire quadrillionaires that are trying to give us a one-seasoned solution to all of humanity's problems, most of which are artificially generated by the media. I don't trust these people, especially after what we just went through. And so with them at the helm of this transhumanist agenda, I've got nothing but questions. And I don't think this is natural. And I think someone is doing this to us. And I think we should be asking some very serious questions about these people, these organizations, these institutions, and what they're really trying to do. And that is the question. What does it mean to be a human? This is why I loved the premise of Matt Walsh's documentary. And yes, it all connects. What is a woman? What a beautiful question. It's a philosophical question. You could, you could use the same strategy with what is a human, right? If we're talking to the trans activists, define what a woman is. Because you want to say that a young nine-year-old boy can transition into a young nine-year-old girl or maybe you can also change your age if you want. I don't know. But you can, so what is that thing that this person is transitioning into? And they run out of the room and they start freaking out at you. You go, oh, okay, touchy subject. <laughs> That's a problem. You can't answer this basic question. I'm off the train, right? And then what's the same thing with human? What does it mean to be human? When they're saying transhuman, what is that? What is that? What is human? We're transitioning to a new kind of human. We didn't even fully define what the old version of humanity was and the new one that we're moving into. I like to see some more definitions. And if the definition is, well, we're transitioning into something else, what is that? And is it really beneficial for the human race? Put all the sales pitches aside for a second. Let's really get critical here for a moment and ask ourselves what kind of demolition man world we're moving into, right? Um, we've been warned about this by Hollywood for decades. We grew up watching these sci-fi films and now they're becoming documentaries, all of them. It's incredible. So my encouragement in this episode is to, to, to use that as your response. Use that basic, just start getting to the definitions. Don't dump information on people. It is counterproductive. It doesn't work. I achieved the influence that I wanted in this conversation that I started the show talking about with this person because I was empathetic. I listened a lot. I raised more questions than I did start Googling facts and showing her, watch this Klaus Schwab video. Like I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I just ask questions. And that's why I love that strategy. That is the ultimate jujitsu strategy. Just ask a question. Because th then you're at, when you're asking them to define what they're meaning, 
you can pull them out of this imagination fairyland that's in their head of what they think it's going to be. And you can actually bring them down to reality. Because we have more than just gender dysphoria going on in our culture. We have species dysphoria going on in our culture. That's the only term I can think of right now, species dysphoria. We don't know what we are. We don't like what we are because we've been conditioned away from the knowledge of what we really are. And we've been lied to about what we really are. And that's why I said it is kind of coincidental that I was inspired to do this new series called The Children of Light. Here we're talking about children being told that they can transition to anything they want so long as they go under the chopping block of the cult of the medics and get a bunch of pharmaceutical drugs pumped into them that's going to cause permanent sterility and a massive change in their hormonal function, their immune system, and everything else. It's going to blacken that third eye because we're messing with the, the natural forces of the body, which are constantly trying to do what they're supposed to do. And we're going in with a bunch of chemicals and a bunch of things and going, no, we want it to be like this. It's a war on, on nature. It's a war on the truth. And who's doing this? And who would do this? So that's the strategy. Start asking those questions. Like, the other thing to bring in is psychology, child psychology. That's another massive piece to bring into that when you're talking about the transgender thing, the, tra the, the transitioning, is what is this really? Here's another argument I brought up. That's a, more of a philosophical argument, okay? You're saying that you want other people to call you this now, and you want other people to view you as this now. That means the entire premise and base of your, your existence henceforth is 100% determined by other people than yourself because you're doing it for other people. You might say, because it's a convenient lie, you can tell yourself that it's being done for yourself, but it always ends up being a discussion about how you are perceived. So it means it's a collective mindset. It's, it's the idea that I can only be me if all the others affirm what I'm telling them me is. You know what I'm saying? See, because my philosophy of life, well, it's not just mine. I learned it from some of the greatest minds who've ever lived. Um, that philosophy is truth against the world. I, I am me with all my strengths, weaknesses, flaws, everything. I am me regardless of what other people think. I don't operate based off of purely, I, I appreciate when I get respect or praise from people or whatever, like we all do. We all, we are, there's a social part of the human personality. We should never negate that. But does that mean we should go into like a collectivist Borg communist totalitarian system that is built off of transhumanism? No, <laughs> that's quite the leap. It means the premise is wrong with the people that are saying my identity is built by everybody else. I am who I am because of everybody else.
No, you're not. You are who you are because that's how nature or God ordained you to be. And then there's all your life experiences. And then there's the influences of other people that you get to choose through a process called free will, which these determinists, transhumanists will deny exists. But you still get to make up your mind whether or not you agree with them. So there's a little bit of free will at least, right? But this is a self-denying ideology outside of gender. This is about you only wanting to be perceived and perform for other people. And you're asking everybody to affirm your own inner delusion. And the reason it's a delusion is because it's, it's something that is conflicting with the nature of reality. Because I think that no matter how many surgeries or drugs you take, you will never be that thing that you are trying to become. You will never become that thing. It will only forever be an illusion. And I'm not trying to downplay the issues that are at play, but the issues that are at play in the psyche of these people is this is a crisis of consciousness. This is a crisis of conscience. This is a crisis of selfhood, of understanding what you are, which means these people, these children that are being marched into these clinics to get carved up and having their parents cheer them the whole way because they just want to do what everybody wants to do. Oh, I just want, if you say it, it must be true. I will affirm whatever you want. The real issue isn't about whether people see you as a boy or a girl or whatever you define that to be or a cat or a whatever. Everybody's identifying as everything these days. I think this is, it's getting really crazy. It's not about that. It's about a lack of self-knowledge. It's ultimately about that, which means your parents didn't teach that to you. Your culture didn't teach that to you. Your, your influences in life didn't teach you the principles of self of what you are. They didn't tell you you're made of photonic light, did they? They didn't tell you you're made of all the stuff of the universe. They didn't tell you that you are special and unique outside of all of that. If you're trying to perform and go through these ridiculous measures to be who you are in this unique thing, that uniqueness isn't related to your physical machine that you call a body that you happen to inhabit to live in this world. That uniqueness is yourself, the true self within you, the kingdom of heaven within you, the light from within. That's what the uniqueness is. That's the area that you can be anything you want. But we still have to work within reality. Or otherwise, nature will punish that. Like, there's many animals that have gone extinct, my friends, on this planet. And there's many reasons for those extinctions. But have any of those extinct animals done it to themselves the way humans are? Like we're butting up against the forces of nature because we think we have become like these gods that can now do that because we now have the technology. Even though um, my internet just cut off because the power went out. My phone glitches all the time. You know, what do you think when that technology is now you, do you trust that over what you were given organically. So if you're not told you have value, these children are not taught about the value that they have. And that's why they need to go and find artificial value. 
they're being indoctrinated to get these little dopamine hits every time somebody likes their post as opposed to something real in the world. So it's the inauthentic expression of the self that is being encouraged. And it's, look what happens. It's, it, this didn't start with transgender surgeries and uh, drugs and all this kind of stuff. This started with the cultural motifs and the new philosophies that were being injected into the culture by the media, by Hollywood, by the education system. And we can tr follow the money on that to find out where that really all came from. Okay. But then it now has become this insanity, this social contagion, but it really has the source in a lack of self love because our, our, our culture is not taught self love. We're taught, we're taught how to love everybody else and accept everybody else and affirm everybody else and do everything for everybody else and perform for everybody else. And happiness is based on everybody else liking you. If you go and do a post on social media and you got a whole bunch of likes on there, you are a popular affirmed person in society. And that's where you're going to derive your self-love from other people that you've never met anywhere in your life. You don't know who they are. They're just scrolling and they go, Hey, I kind of like that. Boom, move on. And you're thinking they love me. And then it's fake instead of generating love from within out to the world. And we're not talking about narcissism and megalomania and all that crap that comes into people's minds whenever I talk about this. We're talking about what are you fundamentally as a living conscious being? What are you? You are, you are imbued with something called spirit and the root term for spirit meant breath. You've been given the spire, the, the spirit. Another synonymous term with spirit is light, light and breath came together to form what we call spirit. And it is that spirit that animates your eyes and separates you from a dead corpse that has no life or light or breath or spirit. That's your fundamental existence. That's what you are. And that same charge, that same electromagnetic charge, that same photonic light is the base vibrational frequency behind all matter in the universe. Do you feel insignificant now? Or do you feel like maybe you're part of something bigger? There's two different ways to look at it. I'm an insignificant speck of dust in this massive universe. And that life is meaningless because of that. That's what they're teaching children with this moral relativism and atheism and materialism. And then, but instead you tell them, no, you are a part of all that ever was, all that ever will be. Your life matters, but you have to make it matter because, and the only way you're going to be able to make your life have any meaning or to matter at all is if you can generate that, that thing we call a self, you can actually create your self from inside out to the world. And that's how you create somebody that has a strong sense of who the, who and what they are. And that kind of a person that knows about true self-knowledge and true self-love and true self-care and the difference between being authentic, which produces a natural organic response in you and in everybody else, or being inauthentic, which produces a distorted, twisted, mangled representation of what you are, which is what you're being encouraged to follow right now. Which one helps to cure this 
dysphoria that we have, this species dysphoria or this gender dysphoria or this identity crisis that everybody's having. Many philosophers predicted this exact crisis, the crisis of consciousness, the crisis of identity. They predicted it. Psychologists predicted it. And instead of getting to the root of it and going to dig up, um, here you go. Who's looking into Arnold Gruen's work on the betrayal of the self? Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, this book could be, and it's not even a long book. This book and many other books like it I could mention to you could end up being some of the most important knowledge ever written down as we move into this. So if you teach your kids some Marcus Aurelius, if you teach your kids some Arnold Gruen, if you teach your kids you know, some of the greats, Walter Russell, all these guys, all the ancient scriptures, the, the philosophy. You showed them a picture of the galaxy or whatever, or a, or a photon and be like, this is what you are at the base frequency. You already have an identity. You are a child of light. Is there going to be an identity crisis? I don't think so. So you're creating an unnatural crisis in society, in the world, in children. And who the fuck would want to do something like that? I'll tell you who. Just on a basic human level here, it's the people that already killed their self, the true self. They have already castrated the spirit of life from themselves and are now operating completely out of the ego, completely out of an artificial construct that they have created in their mind, that they are now trying to force reality to match. They want, they're trying to force reality to conform to their wild imagination. We're, we're not going to have a society or a civilization left if these ideas become dominant in that way, in that way, okay? I understand that there's different kinds of sexualities out there, different kinds of expressions. I have no is issue with that. But when we're going on a recruitment program to groom children into this kind of ideology, which we know has nothing to do with just creating equality and helping people feel better about this state of confusion of who and what they are. Because if you really wanted to help people feel better about this state of confusion of who and what they are, if you really wanted to help children in this manner, you would teach them the great wisdom and knowledge that was already given to humanity by people who already solved this riddle, who are there to tell you, you Here's your identity. You're looking for an identity? Here it is. Here's what you are. But society's lazy now. We want everything to be the click of a button. We want everything to be instant. We want to last forever. See, the physical desire, the, the desire in humanity to physically survive death is due to a lack of knowledge about the death process and what it really is. The desire in people to want to change what they are biologically is a direct reflection of something that happened on a psychic level. Not I'm in the wrong, but it's, I don't know what my identity is. And I've probably suffered a lot of trauma that has put me in a place where 
I no longer can determine what reality is. And so instead of bringing about bringing to these children in the classrooms and in our culture and in our media, the, the knowledge that could clear all this up, you wouldn't see this confusion in young people anymore. If this wasn't being blasted from every corner of the media sphere and the social and the internet of things. And instead was replaced by imagine all this stuff, this transhumanism, this distortion of, of what it is to be a human that ideology, if, if that was put out of the media and we replaced it with the knowledge of the self, with Arnold Gruen, with all the tops, Nathaniel Brandon, the virtues of self-esteem, the, the knowledge of who and what you are, the great philosophers, the great teachers, the great ancient scriptures that already talked about this stuff in ancient language. If we brought that into this culture, we wouldn't have confused children running around. They're confused because the adults of the world are confusing them. That's the truth. That's the elephant in the living room. So confused adults that are in a state of arrested development themselves and never really matured through the seven stages of development and maturation, who are still children walking around in adult bodies, psychologically and spiritually, because they themselves also did not get access to this great knowledge. They are the ones now teaching that ideology to children and teaching it to them as if it's the only way. And this, you can now do whatever you want. And I think that on the bigger level, there is a social political agenda that benefits certain people and certain organizations in the world on a profit level, on a power level. And if these people really do want to reduce the human population, what better way than to disparage natural human relationships and natural human modes of being. 